Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Psychedelics. Really excited to be yet again here with Dr. Curran. Today's conversation is going to be a bit different. We're starting a series on personal journeys through psychedelic treatments and what what we've gotten from them. Curran, I'll let you take over and let's rock. Let's have a great time with this one. Let's do it, Sabs. I appreciate switching things around, man. I, you know, it's it's usually I'm always the one talking your ears off. So today we're going to hear from Mr. Sebastian himself and the personal journey. But before we go any further, let's kind of talk about the context of what we're we're going over. Are we talking about what psychedelics mean in terms of the recreational side or the medicinal side? I think there's a big difference, right? And and I think Sabs, you can talk on this that this is something that you did because it was a healing process for you. So for those of you listening, for those of you that are curious about going down this path, just understand the context where we're going with this, what the treatment journey is like, what positive changes you're looking for, what challenges, difficulties did you have, what integrations occurred in this process. So this is kind of why we do this, is to have this open conversation. So with that being said, are you ready, Subs? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right, man, let's do it. First off, what exactly did you do? So I'll say this. I started back in my in my uh, latter high school years, as I was beginning college, my first experience with psychedelics was psilocybin. Mm-hmm. From, the, from there, um, it stemmed into, I sat with uh, ayahuasca about three and a half years ago, and then recently has been ketamine infusion. I've gone through three different treatments themselves. Wow. Okay. So we're talking the psilocybin effect through... The usage of edible mushrooms, I'm assuming, I yep. during the high school era. All right. Yeah. So we're college, literally- It was early college. All right, man. So I'm thinking days and confused Sean Penn, right? That's not the narrative <laughs> here, right? That's not, that's not what we're talking about Mm-mm. because they're not, we're not seeing a van roll up, the door is open, smoke coming out and someone's got a baggage. This was something that you chose to do. Why? If you want me asking. Absolutely. No, it was actually very intentional at the time. Um, and even to this day, I mean, any sort of psychedelics that I've ever sit with, it's very intentional, set and setting being the most important thing. Um, when I was first introduced to to uh, psilocybin, uh, I was very close off to it. I come from a culture in Colombia where this is completely unheard of. And this is something that, you know, it, like this is synonymous with the devil and some with some people in, in my culture. That's the narrative that I grew up with. So when I was first introduced to him, I was like, no, that is absolutely not what I'm about. I will never do that. And from there, just through conversation, started to explore, watched a couple of different documentaries, started to understand the work of um, McKenna, Dennis McKenna. That really started to help me explore, started to listen to people like Alan Watts, which obviously got a lot of deep philosophy on that side and psychedelics being a big influence on that. So it took me some time to actually sit with it. It It took me some education. It took me some exploring. It wasn't just something that I dove in blind. I took a lot of time to actually study and to actually learn about what these medicines and what the treatments do. And once I actually looked into it and understood the background and the history, that's what actually started to really get me the history. Coming from Colombia, deep Catholic background. And as I started to understand some of the terminology used in, let's say, the Bible, talking about the mana, and then the references around the mana with different psychedelic uh, potions that were again now spoken of in different cultures it was this realization that maybe what i've been told is not necessarily what so and once i was open in that perspective i reached out to the group of friends that had given me the space to do so and before we even sat with it they they took me through a big uh, intention setting i guess you'd call it a workshop it was about 40 minutes of us actually writing down what we're looking to get out of it 
grounding into the space. We had a very intentional uh, setting that we were in. And at that point, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And you know, what's, what's really important and for everybody listening, just understand what Sev just kind of went through in terms of his purpose behind choosing this treatment avenue, right? There is a, some due diligence being done. And for those of you that haven't done that, I don't want you to sit here and feel bad. Like, oh my God, I didn't look into the authors and the pioneers in the industry. It's more of a, of a interpersonal journey that was being taken on and there were certain reasons behind this. Can you dive into what gave you the, the initial need mm. to do something like this? For sure. I wouldn't necessarily what need. It was more of a curiosity standpoint. And again, especially after learning the and, and diving into the work of like Alan, uh, Alan Watts, Dennis McKenna, Terrence McKenna, like really exploring all of that um, and coming from, again, my background, there always been this deep yearning for the greater truth, if you want to put it that way. Like, what is the source of this thing that we call life? This experience that we go through on a day-to-day basis, like what's the meaning of it? If I were yeah. to have a reason, like that was a reason, like what's the meaning of me being here? At the time, yeah, I was about 22 years old and it was like, I'm, I'm going to college for what purpose? What's the reasons for passion to be here? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so you mentioned something about culture and I just had a lot of curiosity behind that specific, uh, uh, the background component to this, because if you think about it, I mean, I, you know, being Indian, I can tell you right now, if I told my family, oh, I'm going to go exhaust psychedelic treatment, um, there's definitely a stigma attached, especially more so on that end. The irony behind this is a lot of this is Eastern medicine and Southern medicine, right? So being from Colombia, would you say that it's interesting to see how these healing modalities are coming to fruition more and yet culturally they've been stigmatized? Is that the case? And, 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 and I'm, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm sure for those that are listening, you know, does Colombian ancestry show the usage of these types of psychedelic treatments in its history? You know, how, how does that, yeah, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. So it's such a such an interesting question and, and uh, an idea to accept into because yes and no. So yes, in the fact that there's a lot of tribes in South America that are largely, th- this is their medicine, this is what they sit with, this is their spiritual connection. Yet, when it comes to the mainstream, I mean, I'll give you the example of this, the mainstream narrative in Colombia that I know of mm-hmm. never included anything like this. I spoke with a cousin about ayahuasca mm-hmm. when I first started to explore going into that again. All of all of my experiences that I've been through, whether it was with ayahuasca directly, DMT, or psilocybin, ketamine, like it's been a, a, a deep study prior to. So as I was exploring ayahuasca, I spoke with a cousin and was asking him what he knew about it because he's still in Colombia. He was very open minded and he's like, I've heard about it, but I didn't know much. Like I, I don't know much of it. Which to me was like, Whoa, that's interesting. You're very open minded. You're very deep into spiritual journey. You're deep, very deep into personal development, yet you've never actually done anything nor explored nor knew of ayahuasca so all that to say the roots do come deeply from the jungles of not just colombia but peru brazil but i think the narrative uh, has been very and not only like a narrative and like any conspiracy i just think that that the general understanding of these of these treatments and medicines and modalities are not necessarily mainstream which i think now we're in a very interesting space because they're finally emerging I really appreciate you breaking that down because there is such a difference in terms of where these healing journeys that have transcended generation to generation really come from. It's not necessarily one nation because there was no invisible lines drawn back then, right? There was a, a certain group of people and certain indigenous 
uh, areas that that were thriving due to uh, this organic sense of living, if you will. And it's interesting you mentioned you know the mainstream, the word mainstream, because we were at Maps recently, and I see this giant Lord Shiva statue in the deep space area. I'm thinking, man, I'm growing up, you know, as a kid going to temple or our mandirs, as for you know, for those who are practicing Hinduism. You know, I'm half Hindu, half Sikh, and we went to these temples, and I would see all these images and statues and all this all this type of of, of nostalgic reflection that came through for me in maps. And I'm like, man, it's so tied in, and the universe just kind of comes back at you and says everything is relative in that sense. So it's amazing to see how the mainstream is now becoming this psychedelic space, and I think that's interesting to get a more perspective on the background behind how this is all how it all started essentially so with that being said we, we talked about you know your, your your experience in high school let me ask you about the ketamine yeah. treatments yeah where what so there's no need right there's curiosity there perhaps or was there a need was there a specific purpose behind you actually seeking that after going through other psychedelic treatments or experiences <laughs> i mean there's always been a deep curiosity um i remember and i will get to ketamine but i remember when i was door knocking and door knocking, I, I had a, a mentor at the time and I called her a spiritual mentor and she asked if I'd ever be open to exploring DMT. And at the time it was like, whoa, like that is serious. I don't know if I'll do that. Um, but sure. from conversation with her, started to dive deeper into what it's all about, where it comes from. Long story short, sat with that again. And that opened me up on a, an understanding of how much I was, I was blocking myself from not looking bad, trying to look good. Ultimately, my ego was in control. It wasn't Sebastian fully self-expressed. I mean, in fact, to this day, I'm still working through being fully self-expressed. But back then, it was a lot of, of different considerations. If I do this, will they think that? What if I don't do that? Will I be judged? Through that particular experience, it opened me up to understand that there's things outside of my knowledge that, I've, that I'm still open to exploring, mm -hmm. which then brings it into fast forward uh, two years ago when I first did my, my when I sat first with ketamine very similar experience. Um, I mean, here I am working uh, in an industry and with a company that is largely focused on spreading this, this the, these treatments. My biggest yeah. thing is if I'm going to be in integrity with sharing what we do, I got to understand what we do. I got to actually go through the experience. I got to, especially if I'm speaking with a provider, helping them understand what we do, I got to understand what they do. You, do you mean practice what you preach? Is that what you're trying to say? Because, <laughs> oh yeah, that makes total sense. Why? Would, yes. Thank you, Sebastian, for saying that. It's the truth. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, uh, a cardiologist has to be on a statin to know what it's like to treat a patient as a heart or a cholesterol issue or, you know, in that healthcare setting. But in mental health, yeah, it's good to know what some of these treatments that we prescribe offer and, 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 and tell patients to take. It's good to know what that experience is like. Personally, with TMS, I've gone through a couple of treatments and it's been groundbreaking for me. Uh, amazing. I'm, I'm in love with it. Let's put it that way because it's opened doors to other experiences that I can exhaust that are therapeutic in nature and, and for the benefit of my well-being from a health standpoint. So that curiosity, that, that's kind of where that sounds true for you, I, I guess. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really understanding and the word psychonaut is is a big thing that continues to come mm -hmm. up is, is understanding my psyche deeper. Um, and that's, a, a, that's been something that coming from Colombia, coming to the States, culture shock a couple different times, mm -hmm. experiences like we've all had of someone passing away, uh, exploring sure. what the meaning of death is or what the meaning of life is because of death coming into the picture. 
I think all of these things drove me to really explore myself deeper. Uh, one of my missions here on earth is to leave this planet better than it is. And I think part of that is to be able to communicate with people at an authentic and genuine level. And I think a way for me to get into that authenticity with you is if I'm able to get real with myself. And I've learned that's been one of the most challenging experiences to actually be true and genuine with myself to, um, to put it in the way that, um, I forgot his name, but he says in order to the, tre the deepest treasure you're looking to find is in the darkest cave. So for me to actually go into the darkest cave of the things that I don't want to experience, the fears that I'm afraid of looking into, the, um, the, the challenges that, that I'm uncomfortable experiencing, that's where the actual work begins. That's where the end work begins. To make a difference in the world and support people at large, I got to begin with myself. Because otherwise, I may be empty trying to fill somebody up. Makes no sense. You're using the word real. That's the, that's the crazy thing. You're trying to be real with yourself. And we, we try so many different things to get to that point. So we, we can actually say, am I being the realest version of myself, my truest version of myself? And we try different types of, of, of counseling and talking to psychics and looking at the stars and everything. And it's, we're always seeking things and trying all these tenuous efforts or, or, or things that really exhaust our energy. And in reality, there's certain real unique, effective ways to do this. So I, I applaud you on that. Let me kind of dive into the ketamine experience. What was that like for you as far as the treatment experience? Like, what did you, I think that anybody listening, if you haven't done ketamine, you want to hear what it feels like. Now's the time to pay attention. What was it like, Sebs? Tell us. <laughs> I mean, you're going to, you're not going to like this answer. It's undescribable. <laughs> it's, undescribable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those experiences that I remember when I first started sitting with, I was like, oh, this isn't working. Like nothing's happening. And Katie, the nurse practitioner who was uh, by my side, which again, really important. If you're going to be sitting with these kind of treatments, make sure you have the right support around you. 100%. So Katie's sitting by my side and she's like, oh, you're not feeling? She's like, okay, give me, give me five minutes. And she's just chilling by my side. And next thing I know, everything just starts to like, like just starts to, they don't, it, it doesn't move, but I feel that there's something happening. And then she talks to me, she looks at me, she says, are you okay? And I start to say, yes, I'm okay. And I'm unable to finish the sentence. And she just laughs. She grabs me <laughs> by the hand and she says, she, she holds a button up. She says, if you need me, this is what you just, I'm right here. I'm literally on the other side of the door. And at that point, it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever been through. The, um, wow. At that, at, with that first session, my father had passed away maybe six months prior to and I thought that I had completed everything with him. I thought that everything that needed to be said with him was done. I thought that I was completely healed with our relationship. Uh, not that it was a terrible relationship, uh, just like anyone else, there's gonna be challenging relationships. I had my own, my father. But in that session, I remember very vividly, I was coming in and out of being present um, and being fully conscious, like, as you could say. And there was a time when I literally thought that I died. It was. It, it was like, am I, am I even here? Does my body even exist? And at first I got super nervous about it because I was, I was seeing a lot of different visuals, I had different colors, the colors, pink, blue, and purple kept like mixing in with each other. It was a very pink, blue and purple. Okay. Yep. Very soothing experience. And in that, I was like, am I really here? So I mustered to open up my eyes. I saw my body was here, felt this deep sense of peace and was out again. But again, I was out in my physical experience. I still had a consciousness to me. When that happened, I felt my father's presence almost like over me and it was like his hands coming over my shoulders. 
And in that moment, very simple message came through. You're loved. You're loved always. Started bawling, started tearing, started crying. Where that lasted, I don't even know how long that lasted, but that lasted for extra time. Time, again, in that experience is like non-existent. Fast forward a little bit in that same sit, I'm looking at what looks to be like a Petri dish. And again, my eyes are closed, so it's not like I'm looking at anything. It's like, look, I'm looking through a Petri dish and I start to see what looks to be cells. And I'm like, oh, that looks like cells. Immediately, my intuition was like, those are your cells. Immediately, I saw as if water was like washing over the Petri dish. And another intuitive feeling that I got was you're already healed. You've always been. It's all, it's, you, you're getting in your way. was pretty much the message that I got. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And man to man, son to son, uh, I can only imagine what that experience must have been like, but it just, it's a lot of conviction, courage, and strength. So hats off to you there, Sebs. I, I appreciate you, brother, for, for sharing that. And secondly, the transition that you've had from the initial part of that experience, from feeling the emotional capacity to have that processing take place. That to me is so unique because in psychiatry, we are taught one thing, grief disorder, adjustment disorder. They give you a couple of paragraphs on the, on the diagnosis disorder and timeline. What they say is a loss of a loved one, something traumatic. The patient, if it's longer than six months, we'll call it a disorder. Okay. Six months is the ballpark. We're going to call it. If somebody, if somebody is still grieving the loss of somebody after six months, we're going to call it a disorder. Mm. I don't buy into that. Actually, when I read that question in my, my, my board exams, I probably got it wrong because I didn't even care. I'm like, this is a very stupid question. I'm just kidding. I answered it right. But my point is we define things in such a time frame, and here you are a couple of months after the loss of your father, thinking you've gone through that healing process and this happens. Mm -hmm. So just to talk about that really quickly, what actually is taking place in your brain during the actual trip, this is the kind of cool part. Your, your brain's taking a trip physically in this case. What it's doing is there's something called synaptogenesis taking place. Your brain's starting to interconnect these highways that are depleted because of a certain trauma, injury, depression, right? Think of depression as a pathology or injury to your brain. Think of trauma, the same thing. The loss is the same thing. Your brain's been shocked. So when that happens, you lose some functionality to do certain things that you can effectively do from an emotional standpoint, aka process a loss of somebody. So now what ends up happening is the ketamine treatment in real time, because IV is bioavailable hundred percent. It's the most widely systemically circulated way of delivering ketamine. So the action of it in real time in your brain is giving your highways in your brain, the structural integrity it needs as quickly as possible to process what you haven't been able to process. And that's why it's so heavy for some people. At the same time, long-term, there's this increase of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, right? We want this protein that promotes survival and growth of your brain and, and your neurons. So that's the long-term because you're increasing this connectivity, these highways, but over long-term, that's what we're doing. But short-term, whatever's been backed up that hasn't been discussed or processed starts to come right to the forefront. That's what it kind of sounds like happened to you. And that's, that's amazing. And then there's this Petri dish experience. I haven't heard that. That to me is unique. I, it could be the role of synaptic plasticity in your brain that's taking place from ketamine, increasing this activity of certain receptors. That's, that's what it sounds like. That's where that's, that's the, uh, 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 
possibility there. But we have something called the default mode network, the DMN, as we call it. The DMN during the trip is very active. So I could see that Petri dish being correlated there. Anyways, I wanted to kind of dive into that. I appreciate you sharing that steps. Let me ask you this then. Since 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 we got into the actual trip, how long did all this last? Um, I mean the whole experience itself, probably about an hour and a half. I was I was between between the total experience of me being in and out, I would say probably three hours, thirty minutes of me again, the set and setting, most importantly, setting set up, getting set up, setting intention, understanding what's about to happen. Hour and a half of me starting to finish and then another 30 minutes uh for me to integrate i couldn't drive so i had a friend pick me up um so yeah so hard yeah three yeah, yeah about three hours and i was gonna say real quick because what you were just explaining on the on, on the biological level like that helps me understand deeper my journey because and, and that for me is, is is what's most important because what am i what's actually happening happening to me as i'm going through this I'm seeing these beautiful visuals and these beautiful colors and I'm experiencing this deep sense of peace, but what's f- happening to me biologically and what you're pointing to makes perfect sense. I, I can, I can understand why in that moment and even following through, I'll say this, that afterwards my meditation started to get stronger. And from what you're sharing, it's almost like my brains have gotten, my brain patterns have gotten stronger in themselves because it had more ability to generate more energy, connect with itself in a deeper ways and letting, leading to those results. You were spot on, and Sebs, I always say this about TMS, ketamine, and, and most psychedelic treatments. Your brain is going to the gym. Your brain is going to the gym and building that muscle memory, and sometimes you lose that. And about those colors, that vision, if you think about it really quickly, when we talk about patients that are depressed or dealing with a certain mental health symptom base, nine times out of ten, their perspective isn't what it could be. So visually, they don't see something as beautiful as you may see it. Now, how that ties into colors, when somebody does TMS or ketamine treatment and they're depressed, what's one thing we always hear, which is a very common response, I just see things differently. Things are brighter to me. There is a reason behind that. You're processing the beauty of what your optic nerves, your, 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 your eyes are taking in in terms of what it's processing. Your brain is firing at so many different levels and taking each color, each image and giving you something of value. So there is that connectivity. All right. So, so great, great talking points here. Three hours, we get the set and setting. That's important guys. Don't drive, don't do all that. Now, Sebastian, you mentioned your meditation has, as your, your efficacy of your meditation has improved or changed, right? Mm-hmm. What positive changes or improvements have you noticed in starting the ketamine treatments mm-hmm. and encompassing all the psychedelic experiences you've had? What would you say is a long-term positive outcome of all of this for you? Mm, so good. It's such a big question. Such a good question. A couple of different things. One, a deeper sense of peace. That's definitely opened up for me. Uh, uh, okay. A sense of knowing that everything is okay. Now, and it's actually cool. At the psychedelic science, they were doing this this panel where they were doing studies and showcasing studies on people that have gone through psychedelic journeys. And there was a common theme that I relate with that I can share. This it, it relates now where people afterwards, they feel like they're everything that is happening around them is happening exactly as it should. And everybody around them is connected to their journey. So it created a deeper sense of compassion and sympathy and empathy for the people around me. It helped me understand that when somebody's dealing with something and I think they should be doing something differently to put the should to the side because they're going through their journey. And instead of me trying to change what they're going through to actually be comp- have compassion towards them. And they showed up directly with, let's say, my mom, 
uh, Laura and my wife experiences where instead of me getting upset, where in the past I would have, now I was aware. It's like, oh, I'm trying to change the situation. What if instead of trying to change the situation, I can I can accept for where it's at? And yeah, sure, I do things differently, but this isn't me doing this. This isn't them. So how can I be, instead of a changer, how can I be an accepting human being to them? And all of that being said, brought me a deeper sense of peace to know that, hey, it's okay. Everything's working out. The journey they're going yeah. was their journey. And all I yeah. can do, if I'm really going to be in the best way possible with them, is to accept them and love them unconditionally which has definitely been a challenge at times because again, I'm human and sometimes I want to change things, but I can't, I have no control over some things outside of my own actions. And mm -hmm. the treatments have supported me in really being present to this, understanding these thought patterns. I realized another thing was how much I was thoughting all over myself, how much I identified myself with my thoughts on a consistent basis and thought that, the, that my thoughts were real. You were letting your, your feelings or thoughts kind of define you more than actually be feelings and thoughts. Would you say that's accurate? hundred percent, hundred percent. I'll put it this way. It allowed me to take a seat in the seat of awareness more than being the victim in the play. So it allowed me to see the scene from a place of, of witnessing instead of being the one that's going through it, which again, I'm like not relating, identify myself to my thoughts. I'm watching this happening in front of me. I also happen to be the one that's in the play. Oh, but I'm, I'm not just watching. I'm the spectator. I'm the audience watching this beautiful play of life, which again, to my original point, I'm no longer trying to change it. I can now be in a place of peace to say, okay, I'm going to surrender and trust that this is unfolding as it should. Wow. Wow. So the example of being the spectator really holds true because I've heard that quite a few times. Mm. It's like, I'm watching myself evolve or I'm stepping out of my body not necessarily uh, out of body experience for all for some perhaps but this element of being more visual about yourself as a person let me ask you this um how has how have these treatments and you know i'm going to include the the psilocybin uh and, and the ketamine here and what was the there was the ayahuasca as well right so let's throw it in there and i will have to talk to you about that for a short uh, moment but with the treatment effect of all these you know uh modalities you tried how has it affected your relationship and connections with with others you know comparative to before and after i want to know about that huge 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 i'll share another one so and i completely forgot about this one um mdma uh lauren and i at one point in time we were going through a really challenging time period we actually had um so we have i think it's to go to a music festival and okay. right about the music festival, like some big news dropped and it was like, uh oh, what's about to happen? Long story short, we still chose to go on the music festival, six days of being together. And I will say this, that the, the medicine, the treatment, the MDMA supported me in dropping down my inhibitions. And I was able to connect deeper to her because I was able to actually see her fully. Uh -huh. These, 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 these modalities, these treatments, what I've noticed is that they allow me to be again the presence with the other person instead of the changing the the understanding of what they're going through the compassion for what they're feeling and ultimately that also came into me because there was a lot of things that i was doing or preventing or or uh denying to do because i was afraid of what would happen if i did do sure so the only yeah. way i was able to connect fully with let's say lauren was a good example i had to look at myself because in the situation that we're going through what happened was because i wasn't present in the relationship so instead of me making her wrong, it's like, oh, Sebastian, you weren't even there. 
So how could you have a relationship if you weren't even there? So it put me again away from the size of, of victim into, okay, how can I now be responsible for the situation that took place? And that's just an example because now today, that's the way in which I, I, I'm, I'm really learning that if I'm going to step into the world from a place of empowerment, it's about personal responsibility over anything else. And that's, that's amazing that you're tying in the personal responsibility into this relationship, right? That's a value because this is your wife right now. This is somebody that you your entire home is based upon the unity of you two. And that's so important to think about in terms of the foundation you build this love on. So just for those of you listening, I want to point one thing out. We say the word treatment. Even if you don't have a deficit to the extent that some people do in terms of certain limitations or obstacles in life, it doesn't mean that you can't have a psychedelic experience. Because you can always be a very healthy person mentally, physically, in all realms, but there's always ways to understand how we can even be more effective or perspective or maybe improve in certain avenues. We might even see it, right? There's certain things we might not even pick up on that we're not doing or saying that we may feel we already are great at. So that's the real value that I find with this. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Let me ask you this other, one more question about Kevin, because I want to kind of dive into the ayahuasca for a quick moment. Where do you envision your journey going from here as far as psychedelics go? Because the question I have to ask is, is it, is it kind of like I've, I've already done these treatments, these modalities, I've, I have these experiences, all right, I'm good, I'm done for the rest of my life? Or you know, wh what's your take on that? Well, that's, that's a big question because I think it touches on a really key conversation that the marketplace is going through at large. And it's how much are people relying on these treatments to be able to do the healing? Um, I'll say for myself, I've realized that in the past, I would turn to the, the, the modalities to be able to look into these, into these experiences. But what I've really come to understand is that it's not so much the medicine itself or the treatment itself is what I'm doing off the medicine. So for example, and I'll bring ayahuasca into this because it relates perfectly. When I mm -hmm. went through my, my ayahuasca sit, the most important thing that my, my sitter kept t telling me before we even started. I, it was a month of preparation before we sat. And I need to start to integrate today. And by integration, reflection. Now for me, reflection has been something that I've been doing. I was, I've been in sales for 10 years. So between business and, and, and business development and sales, it's been a huge thing for me on the coaching side as well, reflecting, reflecting, reflecting. So nothing new. She invited me to get a book called Be, um, After the Ceremony and just a set of questions to consistently do on a day-to-day -day basis. Now what now, when I'm here to answer your question, what do I see myself moving forward? I will sit with, with some treatments again, but it's not like I need them. And I think this is really important in the marketplace to understand that some people are turning yeah. to them as if they need them. No, these, yeah. are just, these are just some avenues of support. They're not required. They're not necessary. They're not needed. Will they see you some things that uh, you wouldn't be able to see otherwise? Maybe. And I say maybe very intentionally because you could easily reach that deep level of understanding if you were, for me, for example, if I were to stop, let's say, drinking coffee, and if I were to stop diluting myself watching TV, and if I were to dis stop distracting myself, if yeah. I would really tap into myself on a consistent basis, I could get into a sort of psychedelic experience. So it's a such a profound way to explain that because you're tying in the needs, the basic human needs versus what we feel we want something versus need something. Mm. Well, we as humans, we, we think so much that we need an external stimulus to get somewhere. 
And what I'm understanding through these treatments and through just life in general is that, in fact, perfection is not about addition. It's about subtracting. What can I get outside of my experience that's not required or necessary? Because those essential things is what makes life move. But again, for me as a human in 21st century with all these different stimulus available to me, I'd rather turn to the stimulus right away because it's the easiest, quickest route. In our reality, it's not needed. It's not required. So it's just something to touch on right there. You're talking about gratification, right? We want some of that dopamine. We want to feel rewarded, gratified, pleased with what we are trying to attain or do. And if you think about it, when we go through these types of treatments and experiences, that bar that we set for gratification is lowered, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind of like we have more pathways, more highways in our brain. So we're able to process more, able to communicate what is important to us from a gratification standpoint. And with somebody with a mental health symptom or disorder, or just any type of trauma, pain, whatever you're going through, can limit the capacity to feel rewarded or gratified or that relief, if you will. There's a there's a connection here. So it sounds like that's what long-term the goal is, is to have that organically. You mentioned coffee. Yeah. Yeah. People drink coffee just because they need to drink coffee. Uh, yours truly, by the way, I, I speak yeah. from within. Yeah, right? I so, yeah, it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I admit that. Um, wow. So, and then lastly, just ayahuasca, you know, comparative to everything you've done, which has been the most intense experience? The most intense was, the most intense was smokable DMT. That was okay. 15 minutes of an experience. Uh, but again, another another session where for an hour before the actual sit with the with the with the treatment, there was a big conversation that was had afterwards about three hours of just deep integration, literally journaling, being guided by somebody. But that that was absolutely the most, if I were to put it this way, the dissolving of the ego was completely to this day I think about it. And again, what else that I can't describe, but those 15 minutes, the time didn't exist. Me as an entity, as a, as a, as a human being didn't exist, but I was able to be present with, with me, with my essence. Ayahuasca was similar in that sense, but it wasn't so pungent. Uh, ayahuasca was about six hours of a journey and it was much more of a residual kind of up and down where the DMT sit with the smoke with DMT was like zero to a hundred zero to and back and back. Yep. Where I want all right, slowly, slowly incline. But that in itself, that was the most beautiful connected experience to myself. And that brought me to a deeper realization of inner truth, mm. inner power. Uh, again, compassion is just another word that these treatments have consistently brought into my life. Wow. 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 For those of you that listened to this today, I hope that you took away some real valuable insight for somebody who's gone through this personally. Uh, in the psychedelic space, there is so much to take away about the importance of this journey that we all take and have. And I'm really encouraged by this conversation because it's hopefully giving for those of you listening the insight to think about what is the purpose behind what you do this for and how do you use it for your benefit for the ladder of your life, right? That's that's the that's the idea, quality of life. So sure. Sebastian, thank you, my friend. This was so unique, so profound, so informative. A lot of respect and love to you, man. That 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 sounds like what you just told us today for our listeners. That was a real treat. Literally, it was a trip. So 
Thank you for leading it. I appreciate you bringing in the, again, the, the, the actual understanding of what's going on in my body with it and to have a deeper scientific perspective to it because it, it brings a balance to the etheric and, and, and it just makes me understand it in a much deeper way. For anybody listening, if, if I may, I just invite you, if you are going to sit with any of these treatments, do your due diligence, find the right people, do their follow-up work. It, this isn't a one and done kind of thing. And by that, I mean, you're not going to sit through a session and then everything have been quote unquote solved. This is going to, it's going to actually open up a lot of things that you're going to have to work through. So actually yeah. do the work if you do choose to go into this route. It's not required, but if you do, do your due diligence. And just to add to that really quickly, don't forget that, again, this is a part of a treatment process. There's a comprehensive plan you should have if you are going through these types of experiences and treatments and there's some underlying things that need to be addressed, make sure it's integrated. Have a counselor, a therapist, a life coach, someone to work with along this journey because it's not just you that's do it all alone. Don't put that on yourself. There's people around you for a reason and they recognize that too. And yeah, you know, that's, that's how I look at it. And by the way, I like this little hosting side of it. This is cool, man. This is but, different for me. I, yeah. I get to ask the questions, kind of be devil's advocate a little bit. So <laughs> let's do this more often. We should get Adrian up in here. I'm going to, I'm going to do this again. This is exciting. I like this role, man. I'm, I'm, I'm messing with but thank you guys for listening. Beyond Psychedelics, we wrapped another episode today. Catch us next week and we appreciate y'all. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.